0: Hello, I'm Charlie Zazera and welcome to the Coaches Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week, usually on a Monday at 5.30, we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces. That's where we dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action, as well as sharing coaching advice and insights with our audience. This week, we'll be doing a tactical analysis of the latest Chelsea versus Tottenham Premier League game and discuss coaching four three three versus a four four two. First up, we're delighted to welcome back to CV Spaces, uh, Gerard Jones. Gerard, congratulations on the new role. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell us a bit about it.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to be involved with um, the FA as a UEFA coach developer. Obviously the the courses have uh, changed. They're now going from probably the stuff that me and Luke will have done, where it was the old level one, level two, level three, UEFA B, level four. It's now the level two is the UEFA C license. Um, And even the, you know, the UEFA convention and and other things has changed. So I'm looking forward to getting started with that and mentoring some of the coaches on the, on the new UEFA courses, which would be good. Uh, So, yeah. Good
0: stuff. Good stuff. And alongside Gerard, um, we're we're excited to welcome to CB Spaces, the Coventry's under-23 head coach, Luke Tisdale. Luke, how are you? Um, and what does an under-23s head coach, what's what's their Monday look like? How, how's your day been?
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me first of all and Gerard, congratulations on the new role. Um, every Monday is different, to be honest. Um, quite often we'll have a game on a Monday, so we'll have been on a Sunday preparing. Our game falls on a Wednesday this week, so, um, we've just done a, a little bit of shape work and had a sort of uh, seven thousand meter day, so a fairly tough one. And then we'll come off it a little bit tomorrow to get ready for Wednesday. Um, but mainly an in possession day, really, just trying to trying to get as much as we can ready for Wednesday.
0: Um, okay, let's let's crack on into the conversation then, Gerard. I'll start with you. What did you make of yesterday's game and how Thomas Tuchel set
1: his team up? Well, obviously. <laughs> You know, it was a great game to, to want to watch as a coach because these are two teams that probably, obviously with the history between the clubs as well, is a lot. I think the way Tuchel's, you know, set up was very clear. Now, it's interesting we're going to talk about, you know, formations. And I'm, I'm excited to hear Luke's thoughts on this as well because, you know, from my perspective, for, formations, I'd typically talk more about principles. Of course, formation is, like a, is a start position, but it's not a set position. So how the shape and the structure of the attack and defence changes in animation will, will look very different. And I think that's a real key talking point for today because if you look, obviously, going into the game, he made a couple of changes, didn't he, um, with certain players that he's brought in. I think there was two changes since the, the 1-1 draw against Brighton with um, San Kovacic uh, getting back in. And I think just seeing how they attacked, I mean, the dominated possession, I know we're going to go into more detail, but just general stuff, dominated possession, and there's some great examples from Chelsea in terms of how they utilize space or playing through a press if and when Tottenham did try to do it, which was great to see. I just loved how, if you're talking about intelligence and exploiting space, so in, in animation, there were times that it might look like a 1-3-3-4 a three, three, or a 3-2-5, Typically, what you saw was that I know you had Rudiger and, and Saar in defence, obviously Asperl, Quetta, but Silva would typically drop into those in between sort of Saar and, and, and Rudiger um, in animation. Hudson-Odoi on on the left side would provide a lot of width, which was exciting to see, and he would, he would typically move up and down and provide width on that left side. I think Jorginho was providing a bit of a triangular uh point in between that sort of back three feel like at times between Saar, obviously Silver dropping in and Rüdiger. Uh with, with Jorginho as that uh, number five Jorginho playing as like a little quarterback at times where he could spray passes or or connect and play through. But I think the fact that you saw, you know, my man Ziesh love it, Moroccan player, so intelligent, whether it was coming in and and playing on the inside because Laqueta was providing a lot of width on the outside. So, again, a lot of dominance on the right in possession where Aspilicueta would would typically go on the outside and and make forward runs, or if he was on the inside, Zies was on the outside. But Zies obviously tends to occupy a lot of spaces in between half spaces, which we saw with the first goal. Um, You know, Mount and Kovacic playing off of Lukaku was a central point, if you like, with his role being, really, how can I occupy defenders? How can I pose problems, whether it was coming onside to, offside to onside or, or as I say, occupying defenders and, and making runs? And I think in animation, you know, it was exciting to see because, you know, even if you take the first goal, for example, you know, there was four players from memory that were inside the penalty area, three won the outside. So even if you look at that web of an attack from that first goal where Ziyech has got it off of an unbelievable, you know, 1v1, 1v2 from Hudson-Odoi on the left flank. He's driving slide, played into Ziyech. This has done an absolute unbelievable one of a left foot, which he can do. You know, there's about seven players in that area attacking the penalty area. So if you think from that perspective, the the attacking threat from Chelsea was great. It was entertaining. Caused a lot of problems for uh, Tottenham's defensive structure, which I know we'll go into. And I think for Tottenham, you know, again general stuff from the game yesterday it was difficult for them because there was a lot of quality on the pitch sure for both sides but i know they were maybe unlucky with um, you know harry not getting the goal but you know they found it very difficult to defend against chelsea because of the quality they had and they kept conceding so many free kicks you know they conceded the most amount of corners um i think chelsea had 10 corners in total yesterday you know, and and obviously constantly giving them free kicks. And, of course, the second goal came from a set-piece. So, you know, you're just gifting them more and more chances. So, I think for Chelsea, you know, what, well, both teams, but Chelsea in particular, what a great way of showing your philosophy, your values and, and what it looks like, you know, in animation. Yeah, that's what Mount said after the game. He said,
0: yeah, that's the Chelsea way, that intensity. And I thought um, Hudson-Doy for that first goal was really intelligent with Tanganga on the yellow card, beating his man, um, and switching it, so yeah, nice analysis there, Gerard and, and Luke. What did you make of Antonio Conte? Because he went against his usual three uh, at the back formation, and he played a defensive four four two with a lower and mid block. What did you make of how he approached the game?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to agree with Gerard as he was talking. Now, I think you can change formation and still have your same principles, your same philosophy. It, it doesn't really change, you know. He set up to be defensively solid and i think for a lot of the game he'd probably be quite happy he's been he's been done in the second half by a bit of incredible skill from Hudson-Adoy and a brilliant finish you know is that tactical or is that just two players producing some unbelievable um some unbelievable skill and then he gets done on a set piece as well so um i think you can you can change shape and maintain your philosophy and it's certainly something that we do a lot of we we play a lot of different shapes throughout the under 23s but We'll make sure that we have the the same principles and the same philosophy. And I think it nearly worked for Conte yesterday. I did feel from a little bit afterwards because uh, I know it's ifs and buts, but um, if Kane gets away with that one in the first half, they're one 0 up at half time, and it's looking like it could be um, an absolute masterstroke. So uh, yeah, I think he, I think he'd be a little bit unfortunate. But I actually don't think he came away from his philosophy. If that makes sense, he was he was very structured very rigid. Everyone knew their roles, their responsibilities, and he'd been beaten twice by Chelsea over the last few weeks and probably wanted to try something a little bit different, maybe when it came to transition, to help them get a goal on the break. Um, But, yeah, I felt a little bit for him yesterday as a coach because I thought he's he's been close to getting it bang on.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with you, and it could have been different. I thought Harry Kane was very, very unlucky to have that chalked off. Luke, just something I wanted to touch on that you mentioned And you mentioned you do it with your team, but how easy is it to change change a formation, whether it's mid-game or after a game, if you've been playing and working on something um, regularly? Is it easy or do you just work on multiple things a lot?
2: Um, I wouldn't say it's easy. You have to have players that have probably played those shapes at different times throughout the age groups. So, um, obviously at Coventry our first team are a back three and they'll either play a, a box midfield with a single striker or 3-5-2 or with a 10 um, so we do a lot of that in the 23s as well but then there's been times when we've had to force to switch to a back four to go 4-2-3-1 4-3-3 three, three. Um, so we, we change in game quite a lot but I honestly think a lot of it depends on who you're playing against where the spaces are you know if we're playing a box midfield it's obviously similar to a a 3-4-3, three, three, but just with those outside wide players coming in to be two number 10s. We try and get a high block on. So one of those outside box midfield players jumps up. The other one rolls inside as a 10. All of a sudden, we're playing 3-5-2. So the shape changes, yes. If you were to freeze frame the game, you'd say, oh, they're playing 3-5-2. Whereas the reality is, no, we're just looking to create a high block or create a press. Um, so... Like I say, as long as the principles don't change, I think it makes it a lot easier to change shape within game. Because what is a shape? It's just a, a structure to allow you to do what you want to do. But ultimately, as soon as the ball starts rolling, everyone starts running around, don't they? So they're not stood in those four-three-three three shapes or a three-four-three three shape. You're trying to play in possession where the space is, and out of possession, you're trying to block those spaces. So uh, I think it's easier as long as everybody knows the the core principles that you maintain within your group.
0: Yes, that's it's interesting that. Uh, Gerard. I know you mentioned Ziyech and hudson Adoy, which were the key, I thought, the most decisive players who benefited from Tuchel's change. But were there any other key players you fought for Chelsea that
1: allowed them uh, to be so comfortable in the game? Well, I think it helps with with I mean, the quality that they've got, right? And even looking at Mason Mount, I think what a dangerous player he is. Just because of either he runs to sort of deceive or, or runs to attract. So he's taking people away. So, you know, that's a challenge often in coaching, right? So how can your run take two or more players with you? You know, so, uh, or how can your movement create space for yourself or your teammate? And he's a great example of that, is Mason Mount. And I think he, him and, and Kovacic, you know, in terms of their movements in and around Lukaku, were causing a lot of problems so it's that runs to runs to uh deceive type stuff and runs to receive I think I'd like to make a point as well with what Luke said because he's so bang on you know and it, it I hear a lot of people talk about formations and stuff but you know there's a, there's a few points that he made in there and and one I think is that you know as a coach you're trying to design these sort of systems if you like or structures based on the personnel that you've got so, obviously, it's to bring about the, the the platform and based on the quality that you've got at your disposal. But, again, there's a big phrase that we use all the time, and Luke's used it many times there in that explanation, which is about principles. And it does come back to that. Obviously, there'll be certain advantages where, depending on what system you're using or whatever, um, and as Luke said, you can freeze-frame anything and go, ah, you know, this looks like this or whatever. But, you know, I think for coaches listening, it's it's so important that a lot of these shapes if you like will change in animation and a lot of good teams are, they're constantly changing you know players are emptying and filling space and I think that shows the, the level of intelligence and that adaptive self learner that we want now right and it comes back to your principles what are your principles when you've got the ball what are your principles when you haven't got the ball what are your principles during the moments when you're looking to try and regain it or you've just regained it and you're looking to try and project the counter attack or not so um, and I, I think you know, even linking back to your question then, it's very clear uh what those are, you know, with with Thomas Tuchel's, how he's implemented that style and just the creativity that he's created, you know. It's um it's good to see really.
0: And Luke, when we talk about the formation and the four three three,
2: what would you say the advantages are of playing a four three three? Depends what you're playing against. Um, obviously how anyone else sets up has its strengths and its weaknesses and they'll cause you problems in the different areas where you'll cause them problems. Obviously, the, the obvious one when you're playing against a four four two is you've got that extra man in midfield. Um, and especially if you've got wide players that roll inside as well, you can you get massive dominance in there, which I think is probably why you saw Chelsea have so much of the ball until Tottenham changed shape. Um, you lose a little bit maybe in attacking areas because your you eights have to commit to both getting the box if you want to get bodies forward um, and out of possession at 4-3-3. Three, three, you get a lot of flexibility in it. If you want to go and press, you can do. You can get your, your three front players getting after a back four and your wing backs to then jump on or full backs. Um, and it also allows you to drop off into a four-five-one and block the game off at times, which is obviously what Chelsea did the sort of last 20 minutes, didn't they? They just sat in, went mid-block and tried to screen the game off and then hit Spurs on the break. So, again depending on what you're playing against I think that's where you'll find where your strengths and your weaknesses are and where you'll hurt teams and equally where you're going to be susceptible at times um, which is obviously a little bit what Gerard's touched on there it's you know where's the space again where do you have to defend and and where can you hurt teams and it's about in-game learning a lot like again it's a phrase that we use loads about with our young players with the under 23s you, you never know what you're going to come up against because you can plan to play against a certain shape or formation and then you might turn up to Barnsley or Sheffield United or QPR and you've got five or six first-team players playing and it's completely different. So you have to learn in-game very, very quickly and that's one of the best challenges I think you get from under-23s football and it translates to whatever level you're playing against. You know, you'll set up one way, something completely different happens and you have to have the tools and the skill set to adapt to that. Um, and I think that's probably, again, what, what Chelsea did really well yesterday. Luke, what's the logistics of, of
0: doing that in-game learning when you're coming up a team who are playing something that you're you're not quite sure? Is it communication from you as the coach? Is it captain? Or do is it something that's just drilled that you, you guys will know if the other team is set up in this way that this is how we're gonna play?
2: A little bit of all of that, to be honest. I mean, as soon as the team sheets come in, the analyst will have a look and, and put together what they think, um, what they think the shape's gonna be and which Key players are going to play where We'll then pass that on to the players in the changing room before they go out. Again, there's been times where we've done all that work and then turned up and it, it, you go out on the pitch and it's completely different. We went to Hull City quite a few weeks ago and um, they rolled their first team bench. We, we played at 5.30. Their first team played at 3 o'clock. The six subs stayed behind to play against us. The team sheet came in. It was completely and utterly different to what we'd planned for. Um we were 3-0 down at halftime and lost 6-0. So you you know, it was it was a tough night, but we did so much learning from the game afterwards because yeah, we had a we had a bad time, but um it then allowed us to say, okay, this is what we planned for, this is what happened during the game. We probably came away from our principles a little bit because we saw so little of the ball, but due to the quality of player that we were playing against. Um if it's a normal game, like I say, the team sheet comes in, we'll we'll translate that to the players in the changing room. And then the under-23s are quite clear that they have to try and adapt and learn in-game. It's something that we've spoken loads about this year. So it's almost a an in-house challenge that we've set going throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, they've been good at it, to be honest, but it does come with challenges as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's important, taking the positives from those um those harsh lessons. Uh, I wanted to talk a bit more about coaching now and coaching the 4 um, 3 as an actual formation. But if we talk about the players firstly, um, Gerard, what players do you think are suited to a 4-3-3, whether it's um, from midfield? If something's a bit different, if we're thinking midfield and attackers, what players
1: do you think are most suited to that formation? The biggest advantage is, as Luke mentioned, is that it gives you a lot of more triangulation, potentially more angles and overloads. You probably want teams or individuals, players that are technically proficient, comfortable on the ball, that are quite comfortable exploiting an overload or creating the overload, which are two different things. You know, if you've already got the overload, you're not creating it. But in certain situations, how can you create it and exploit it? Um, I would say... It depends how you play it because it's a bit like with some of the questions where we might have around like the 442, the 1442, but there's different ways that you can do that, you know, offensively. Do you play with a diamond? Do you play with a flat? Do you do this? Do you do that? It's the same with the with the, the the one four three three, you know, there's so many variations. You could you could have wingers who are really high and wide, and they've got this individual technique that they can outplay people, so outplay and outthink and dominate 1v1 areas, but then you might play with two number 10s, if you like, and they're quite inverted, and, you, and the the width is coming from maybe your fullbacks potentially. Um, so, again, it depends really, but I would say you need players that are technically proficient, for sure, in possession as well as, as out of possession, um, and just an intelligence of playing in in certain areas, uh, You know how to move, how to create space, how to exploit space, that type of thing, really. Um, and again, it's a, it's a great... comes back to something that I mentioned before. It, obviously, I've mentioned animation, but if you're talking about certain systems, certainly in youth development, I think you've got to think about, does this get the best out of the young players or even senior players that we'll work with? Obviously, Luke's working at 23s level because there might be situations where if we're choosing a a one four three three, for example, we might be asking ourselves, well, actually, we've got two really good centre-forwards that... That might be better in a in a in playing as a f- a four, four, two, if you like. So is that getting the best out of them? Or if it's a midfield situation and that relationship with a with a six and an eight, they might feel that they're they're really good at playing with a midfield two. They're not used to playing in a midfield three. Or actually, if you've got really good midfielders, you've got three, can you find a way to use a, a four-three-free system to get the best out of the players and get the best players on the pitch? So I think their considerations when coaches are thinking about these concepts, you know, by setting up that structure, what are you eliminating or what are you being able to add and include if there's certain players that you want to include in that?
0: Luke, so Gerard talked about the, the midfield free, but what are the different roles that you'd have in a in a midfield free, whether it's six,
2: eights, tens? Uh, well, again, you have to go back to your principles. If you're going to play with, with a six or two sixes, it's their angles to go and get on the ball and where their next pass is, whether they're going to try and go in off the 10, which Ron's rolled in there, or or switch the play and change it and go the other side. Um, again, I think when you're playing a 4-3-3, three, three, you've got to make sure that you get a threat in behind from midfield players as well. And again, how good was Mount at that yesterday? He was unbelievable at it. I saw one of our uh, coaches at Coventry, Shay Thompson, tweeting about just how good Mount was at running through the game and um, going beyond the back four of Tottenham and, and taking midfield players out as well. Um, so again, I it, think it just goes back to principles. You you want midfield players, if they're going to be eights, that go box to box and do both. You want some security behind the ball, which Jorginho is incredible at as well. So, you know, it's horses for courses really, isn't it? You have to have a look at what kind of players you've got in there, um, what best suits them. If you've got Jorginho to sit in there, you can probably allow Mount Kovacic to go and do what they want to do. And the same when Kante goes in there. Chelsea might have a little spell where they play, I don't know, Kante and Jorginho in there and they can get more of an out-and-out 10, someone like Pulisic in there to go and um, get close to Lukaku and have some fun in and around the final third. So um, it, I think it depends on your players, really, and then you, you adapt around that. Just just touching on Mason Mount, Luke, is,
0: he, is that his biggest strength, his movement is off the ball work? Because you, you see a lot of fans, especially when it comes to England, going, we don't know exactly what he does. But every time I speak to a coach, his name always comes up. Um, why is Mason Mount
2: so, so loved by coach top coaches like, like Tuchel? Great question. I mean, what, what, what does he not do? He gets goals, he gets assists, he runs, he does the defensive side of the game. Um, you look at the players that Chelsea's academy have produced over the years, their track record's unbelievable. You know, even ones that aren't necessarily playing for their first team, they might be playing in the football pyramid elsewhere that they obviously get an incredible um, upbringing throughout the academy. Very, very, very tactically astute, technically good. He's well grounded off the pitch as well. Um, so, it, you know, he's got a little bit of everything really, hasn't it? I think that's why he appeals to so many managers uh, and so many coaches. You know, he, he just seems like a Rolls Royce, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a top player and it's so good. So good that Chelsea and these in- in- English players are being developed um Gerard if we move a bit higher up to the pitch and what for a 4-3-3 you might have a a nine with two 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 wide players have you got any advice for any coaches working with maybe a nine linking play with that central striker or how how they can effectively work with the inverted inverted wingers that you're seeing a lot nowadays
1: yeah i think well i think in any sort of session design you've always got to try and think about what's the clarity for the players that you've got within that session? So you're taking on board. I know, you know, I'm interested to ask Luke as well, you know, what are some of the stuff that he does in his role, you know, within that individualised approach? I think, again, there's two things I would tackle here. One would be individual difference within the practice design and the other thing would be your vocab because your vocab reinforces your club values and your principles and what what, what you're expected. which, you know, we've discussed already between the two of us around those qualities so you know vocab for number nine it might be you know uh, hide and seek you know so it's playful language it's it's vocab that you'd understand as a player as a child or, or as a young player so how can you hide and then go seek for the ball so it's playful how can you get your right shoulder across his left shoulder or left shoulder across his right shoulder um try and find ways to run off, off the blind side of the defender or well, how can you occupy space in between two or more defenders? So again, these are things that you know the game presents these challenges, and we saw that in the movement with with Mount and and Kovacic and Lukaku yesterday, making those runs to deceive, runs to receive, whether they're creating space for for players like Ziyech to to hold space and get in between our you know our spaces. I mean, Chelsea have got. One of the highest percentages for that, I think. Even was it Kevin Nicholson? One of your last podcasts, you know, forty-two percent of the goals Chelsea score come from our spaces, and you can see that in terms of the movements that that's required to create that. So I would be saying to to coaches considerations if you you're trying to develop the relationship with that front free, but don't forget it's not just the front free; it's the players around them as well. And you know, Aspel Equita was causing creating a lot of width yesterday, as was Hudson Adoy so you know finding ways to to deceive people play with disguise and deception um, setting them challenges where they're going to have to look for the for the information to solve the problem from the environment designing practices where you know I said individual difference there's a session that I tweeted recently we've actually got Osh, you know listening and it was something that I saw Osh doing in Morocco which is incredible where he created individual difference within the practice where he's coned off one area of the pitch for the for where the number seven would be, let's say, for example, a, a right-sided player it could be anybody really. And on the other side, on the left, it was more open. And by doing so, potentially what you've what you've got there is that a winger, like we saw yesterday with Hudson Adoy, he's got the options where he can beat the player on the outside or actually drive in and drive and slide across the defender to play that ball into to Z-H. By coning off the area on the opposite side, you're creating a constraint which is challenging individuals to do something different. So are they delivering crosses from those sort of areas, those inside areas that are they finding early balls, like a De Bruyne type of thing, into the penalty area? How are they finding ways to combine and link up with the number nine? So your nine and your tens or your seven, how are they combining and probing and finding in order to create space to, to score goals? Or they're doing as simple as H was, which was if you saw before that ball arrived to him, he put his arm up as a non-verbal communication. He's, so he's calling for the ball, signal for it. He stood still, which sometimes is your best movement. Receive the ball, touch, move. And, and obviously he's, he's, he's got a wonderful left foot to, to put it in the top corner. Um, but again, there was a lot of factors that went into that. So how can your, how can your movement create space for yourself or your teammates? So if you look... In that animation, Lukaku, uh, Mason Mount—I think it was Mount—somebody else, maybe Kovacic, they were running away, which created space. He had who was sprinting on the outside of him, and there was a, around seven players attacking the penalty area in that in that first instance, that first goal. So again, they're the type of things where, for coaches listening, you know, individual difference and, and practice design, um, yeah, would be key. And I'm curious—I mean, even with you, Luke, you know, are those some of the things that you're doing now? in your role at Coventry and how does it change between balancing I guess match preparation and obviously developing the players linked to their own you know individual needs
2: Um, I think the honest answer is that we're much more focused on the individual than the match prep Um, the individual work is what you gear up to help you for the match if that makes sense it's it's pointless doing all the match prep and talking about tactical shape etc etc if when it comes to it, you you can't produce because you have a basic lack of technique or understanding. Um, so uh, you touched on there about hudson Adoy being able to go on the outside or the inside. The the wingers that we have in the under-23s at Coventry, they have to know how to play wing-back, but we'll have games where they play as a winger as well. But every winger, these it seems like every young winger, if they're right-footed, they want to play off, off the left. And if they're left-footed, they want to play off the right so they can cut in and shoot all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. It just seems that way, doesn't it? But that's fine. But if you're going to do that, then you need to be able to cross off your weak foot because ultimately then a fullback's going to get bored of you dribbling inside. He's going to show you the line. If you then can't deliver a cross off your weak foot, that's a that's a goal threat. You're out of the game, aren't you? You become easy to mark. So um, our wide players, especially, we're doing a lot of work on that at the minute of just being able to do both. Can you dip inside and finish if you're going to go on the outside and push it? Can you cut it back, stand it up, whip it? If you can get that off both feet, then you've got all the tools to then become a better decision-maker and then tactically become better. But without that base foundation of technique, I think the whole thing falls
1: down. I agree. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Good stuff. And Luke, have you got any um, any good advice, any coaching methods that you'd like to share for the coaches listening that you could recommend for doesn't have to necessarily be for the 4 three, three, but anything that you like to work with your players that can uh, improve their game?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was making some notes on it earlier. It's difficult because it um, depends what level of player you're working with, how many players you've got, all those challenges that we've all faced as coaches throughout the years, really, you know, never know how many's going to turn up or how big your area is going to be. Um, but we'd certainly try and... One thing we do is try and structure our small-sided games with a shape um, so, I wrote down here when when you're playing a four-three-three, three, what shape relates best to that? If you're playing nine aside or six aside, is it a three-two-three three or a, a one-three-one? If you're playing six aside, you know, try and find um, a small-sided shape that you can get principles out when it comes to the eleven-aside game because everyone loves a five-zero a in training, don't they? Or seven v seven or a three-teamer, and they're great. But if you can get a little bit of structure within that, you can still get the um, still get the philosophy out within it. If that makes sense, if you want to make it, if you want to be a pressing team. Make everybody a two touch a two touch player. So then you can go and get after the goalkeepers and, and people lock on. You have got to play through the press. If you don't want to be that, then all in in the back half. You know, lo- no limit on your touches and, and make people drop off. So um, again, it depends on how good your players are, what they want to work on, but. I always think that the small-sided games are, are so good and so much fun for the players that try and find a way within that of relating it to the game. It's something that we try and do a lot of anyway. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay,
0: we'll um, get our first question up. Mike Warden, thanks for joining, mate. Uh, did you have a question for Luke or Gerard? Yeah, uh, thanks, guys. It was uh, you, You've uh, just had an interesting um, discussion there and I like the way that you 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 made it fairly simple for people to follow. Just a question, uh, there's reference to... Um, animation
1: and i just just want to understand what you mean by animation do you mean just like making the formation come to life is that what you mean when you refer to animation thanks for your question mike and basically i would say animation is exactly as you put it it's where players are uh, either they're, they're creating a shape which is evolving as they're in attack or defense so you know, typically people have have got these these ideas of like formations being quite rigid structures. So if we're playing a one four four two or a one four three three or whatever we're playing, but we know that you know the defense doesn't stay as flat as that. You know, people don't move in in straight lines. So let's say you you started with a a back four, but in animation and in certain areas of the pitch, during certain situations, that might look like a two three five, or it might look like a like yesterday, for example, you know people are saying they played a, a one-four-three-three, three. but in animation, what tended to happen was that Sarr and, and Rudiger would create a little bit of width as, as two central points, with Silver dropping in between them. So there would be like three. Jorginho was like that like deep lying player. Obviously, Hudson Odoi was creating width on the left side. Aspel Aquet is making forward runs on the outside on the right. And as Luke has mentioned before, you've got Mason Mount, Ziyech, Kovacic, all playing in and around and off of that central point, which is Lukaku. Obviously, Ziyech occupying sort of half space, if you like. So in animation, as a formation, it doesn't look like 1-4-3-3, three, three, let's say. It might look 3-2-5, where if you were to screen grab it, that would be where you'd sort of see the structure and shape of that attack. So that's what I mean when we're relating to animation, because in animation it can change, and that's why I think as a as a coaching point, really, you know, it's, it's probably a good point to make in terms of if we're talking about developing players, we need to understand well what does it look like in animation, and we don't want to get too stuck on rigid structures, let's say, but it's more around, and, and that's not to say that you know there are times where you can be quite solid because you can be, you know, in a in a defensive structure. In a 4-4-2, four, four, for example, a lot of teams will use that as a defensive strategy, especially in a, in a real low block, let's say, where they're reducing space between lines so they're preventing the opposition being able to play in between them and find the players in between lines or play through them. And and again, that can be a useful tactic. But typically, you know, if we're talking about an animation, it's useful for us to understand because it relates to the principle. So what's the principle when we've got the ball – how do we want to construct and play our attack? You know, what, what, what's the principle? How do we want to do it? How are we going to break lines? Are we going to play through, round or over? How are we going to create width? Um, how are we going to sort of disguise and deceive and, and, and unlock defences? How are we going to outplay and outthink? You know, are we going to, are we going to dominate territory? How, if so, how so? So again, in animation, it will change and it will change it throughout the whole game based on what the opposition are doing because obviously their defensive structure will change and obviously that's that that's the that's what hopefully that makes sense yeah. um that'll be the type of thing that we you know we'd be looking at
0: that's it for this week's episode but if you are a coach yourself you may be interested in our very own coach education platform at cv academy Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You'll find loads of great content on there, including our latest coaching course with Southampton Lead Foundation Phase Coach Lee Smith, where he takes a group of players through a series of practices designed to develop their ability to play through midfield. We're also giving listeners to CV Spaces or the podcast 50% off their first month when they sign up to CV Academy. All you need to do is use the discount code CV Spaces when you reach the checkout point. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll be back next week with two more top-level coaches analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing their best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join the next CV Spaces Live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at CoachesVoice. Big thank you to our guest speakers, Gerald and Luke, and thanks to everyone who listened in.